imagine you're on a roller coaster. You know, you sit down in the seat, first thing that happens, there's some guy that walks around and sort of pushes down that lap safety bar, secures the lap safety bar. Now, if you're like me, what's the very first thing you do? You grab that bar, you push it, you prod it, you wiggle it, you test it. Now, think about it. I mean, do you push and prod and test and wiggle that bar hoping that it will give, hoping that it will fail, leading to your inevitable death as you splat on the pavement? Of course not. You push it and you prod it and you test it, hoping, confirming it will hold. Listen to me. That teen in your life is doing the exact same thing. They are pushing you and prodding you and testing you, hoping, confirming you will hold. I mean, at a time in their life when so many things are uncertain, they need to know that you are certain. At a time in their life when so many things are unstable, they need to know that you are stable. And at a time in their life when so many things are erratic, they need to know that you are consistent. So good news, if the teen in your life pushes you, it doesn't mean you're a bad person or an imbecile or doing it all wrong or messing things up or saying the wrong things. It simply means you're dealing with a teenager. So that was Josh Shipp, who is a, uh, do you say a teenage expert? Um, he works with teenagers and I saw that clip a year or two ago and loved it. And I bookmarked it and made sure that one day when we're talking about parenting, I want this example to be used. Because it's so true. Uh, if you know anything about me, I have a four-year-old and two-year-old. So to talk about parenting to a room of parents who have older kids and have gone through this, it seems a bit absurd. Um, but my hope is that parenting expert, it's an oxymoron. There is no parenting expert. Uh, parenting, it's more of an art and a craft. It's not this uh, specific science. Because what might work for you wouldn't work for me. What might work for us doesn't work for you. So this isn't a how-to talk, an ABC or one, two, three, and then you're going to have perfect kids. But this is a discussion. This is a way of beginning this discussion and springboarding the discussion to be able to continue the conversations beyond the church walls, to, to continue the conversations in community. So my heart for this series is actually to develop community. Just like we said, it takes a village to raise a child. This is part of developing our vi village. You here tonight is showing that there's, there's a connection, there's a relationship with us, and you care about those of us who are here, and, and for those of you who've gone through it, you have things to offer and maybe some suggestions of things to avoid. And for those of you who are here and you're just at the very beginning stages of it, then you can learn things and also share your experiences and, and how things are changing within the world because the reality of it too, the world that even I grew up in isn't the same world that kids are facing today. I didn't have a computer in my house until the end of high school. And kids today are being exposed to so much and so fast, and they can just Google any perspective that they want to hear on different topics. So this whole series is designed to create community, to create discussion, and to learn and grow together. So last week, we, uh, we started 
this whole conversation, and we looked at these three observations or these three guideposts. Because rather than this is a black and white thing that we do, it's more of a guidepost to help us on this journey of figuring out how to impact and influence the next generation. And the first guidepost we looked at was that as parents, your first responsibility as a parent is to enjoy your kids. That's number one, because your kids know whether or not you enjoy them. Your kids are a flesh and blood embodiment of your joy. This thing that was happening between the two of you. It's, it's this energy and this love and this, this desire. Your, your, your kid is a result of that. So the first responsibility is to enjoy your kids. Secondly, we looked at log the hours. Put in the time because you're always teaching your kids and sometimes you use words. And the third guidepost we looked at was to discern who does this kid want to be? And we, we looked at an architect, actually, who, who talks about that with a brick. And he, he talks about uh, Louis Kahn, about who does this brick want to be? Or what does this brick want to be? And it has this dialogue back and forth, kind of the brick wants to be an arch. But he's like, arches are too expensive. Let's make you a wall. But you need to be able to honor the, the potential and honor and uh, what is instilled and embedded in our kids because kids, they're this gift to the world that haven't been explored or realized yet in their full potential. And what we get to do as parents is actually draw that out of them. And we get to, to kind of help them figure that out and unleash it to the world and bring good to the world and hope to the world. And I smoke, I snuck in, um, I didn't smoke. <laughs> I, I also, uh, there's too many jokes going through my mind, so it's better to stay, stay quiet. I also snuck in a fourth uh, observation, which was extend yourself grace, because no one has ever launched this rocket before. Uh, the, this flesh and blood embodiment of your joy, it, it, it's uniquely and mysteriously you. And it's, it's they're their own being. So extend yourself grace because no one has ever launched this rocket before. So tonight's message, though, is entitled Mayday. So parenting when life is out of control. It's kind of just that, ah! Like, last week I, I, I shared what we were talking about, and this, this mom of six was here. She said, I can't be there next week, but man, I need that. And I'm like, well, it's okay. I, we record them. We stream them online. You can go back and see. And I, I hope that she does And uh, because she has these six little rockets in her care. And uh, I'm sure she needs that constant reminder to just extend grace upon grace. So the big idea that we're looking at tonight with this whole idea of May Day is we're going to unpack how we can actually let go of our control. And I know this seems paradoxical because we're talking about when life is out of control, and I'm saying to let go of control, but what I mean is I want us to look at how we can shift from control to influence. So how to shift from trying to control our kids to how we can step into an influential role and influence our kids. We looked at these three main dials last week, and it's God, parents, and others. And imagine them as these big dials that can be turned hot or cold. 
And so you have the, the sphere of God, the sphere of parents, and the sphere of others. And what I suggested was that the, the parent dial is actually the most important dial. And you might be thinking, I thought this was a Christian church, and God be the most important dial. But what I mean is that if this parent dial is cold, good luck trying to influence these other areas. If, if this parent dial is cold, and you're trying to tell them that they need to grow closer to God, man, that's hard to do when you don't have a good relationship with them. And if, if you see them with, with others that you'd rather dial out of their life, but you don't have a good relationship with your kid, man, that's going to be hard. But if you have this good relationship between, with your kid and with the, between the kids and the parents, then it allows you to influence them in these other areas of life. They'll listen to you when, when you can dial in some positive influences and dial out some negative ones. They'll listen to you and watch you as you focus on your relationship with God and you encourage them and spur them on. So we're going to unpack how we can shift from control to influence. But when our kids are little, so again, mine are two and four, you have to have more control. Um, you, I, you have to be able to stop them from touching the top of the stove. You have to stop them from putting their sister's finger in the light socket. Uh, so many things that you're like, no, do it, because I said so. But I, I think what happens is as, as time goes on, we can make this mistake that controlling our kids is the responsibility of parenting our kids. But I don't agree. I believe that we need to shift from the state of controlling our kids for their own safety to then helping them learn and launch and influencing them to make better decisions. If we try and maintain control over our kids, it's so easy to undermine our effectiveness during the crucial later or teenage years. So if we if we fail to move out of the control phase at the appropriate time, what we could do is have the opposite effect of what we intend. So the first thing I want to look at tonight, guidepost, I don't know if I want to continue on from last week, or we'll just start with one, clean slate. Guidepost number one, uh, don't exasperate your kid. This comes right from scripture. Ephesians 6.4, parents, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. I love the word exasperate here because it has some punch to it. To exasperate your kid. It means to abuse your size or your position, to weigh them down, to burden them. Have you ever tried asking your kid, is there anything I've been doing that exasperates you? Now, my kids wouldn't even be able to say the word, but uh, I even look at it in my, my marriage. I, I'm actually terrified to ask that question to Amanda. <laughs> but I'd encourage you, if your kids are of an age that they can talk to you about this, try it. It, it takes courage. It, it takes guts. But the truth is, your kids will have things to say. Kids will be honest. But... You also have to make sure that that parenting dial is warm enough to be able to ask this. 
and then you need to bite your tongue, you need to lower the defenses, and whatever comes out of their mouth, you have to just let sit there. Because they will have things to say, and it will be painful, but I believe it will be a good painful. Because they'll begin developing this trust, knowing that they they can talk to you, knowing that you want to care that this desire, that this relationship can actually go both ways. And I think that's actually the power that's hidden within the text here. Because Paul is saying that there's actually a mutual responsibility. Now, he's talking in a context and culture where that wasn't the way things went. You, you beat your kid. You, you, you made that boy a man. You... you use the rod you, you, you there wasn't this ebb and flow this relationship between parent and kid it was parent up here kid down here but this radical idea that's contained within Paul's letters to the Ephesians is saying that there's actually a mutual responsibility that he's actually giving the kids rights And Paul is calling parents to behave appropriately towards their kids. Because again, he understands that it's not just this a matter of telling them what they have to do. It's influencing them. It's having that voice in their life, but helping draw out who God has designed them to be. So our homes, they shouldn't be places of fear. They shouldn't be places of bondage. They, they need to be places of love, of security, of affirmation, this new energy. Exasperation, it, it erodes our relationships. It destroys this leverage of influence. So we must create launch pads filled with this new energy, this new hope, this new life that's going to launch our kids off well. Which leads me to guidepost number two, which is tap into the power of their true identity. We talked about this uh, briefly last week, but there are two ways that we respond to our kids when they mess up. The first way is, why do you always do that? Why do you always do that? And the second way is, we don't do that, or that's not how we roll. It's a, it's a slight nuance, but... I believe it's a big difference because the first way questions their identity. Why do you always do this? It calls into question their fundamental sense of self. It's asking, who are you? But when we respond by saying, we don't do that, you're reminding them of their true identity. You're reminding them that they're part of something going on here. You're reminding them that they belong. And you're calling them to their authentic selves, to to live into that and to live up to that. And just as we looked at last week, Paul reminds the Philippians of this, of their identity in Christ. And he says, let us live up to what we've already attained. That Jesus hasn't come with this new list of rules and things that we have to do to measure up. He comes with this thing called gospel, which is the announcement of who we are, who we truly are that you're a son or a daughter of the divine, that you're blessed, that you're loved, that you're validated. Right in the middle of whatever you've done, whatever decisions you've made. So just as Jesus came to tell us who we are, 
Let's follow that example. Let's pass that on. Remind our kids who they are. Let's give them a vision of what they can be and invite them to live into that. I still remember one of, uh, I don't know why this comes to mind, the specific example, but I remember this one time I was called out to, to live into something better, and it was actually my grade 7 teacher at Mount Albion, just not too far from here. And I was hanging around this one person, the, 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 and you can put him in the other dial, that probably should have been dialed a little bit more out of my life. And I was hanging around this guy more and more and more, and we started copying each other's homework, started cheating on tests, starting to do all these different things. And the teacher pulled me aside and said, Kevin, this isn't who you are. You, you are better than this. You, you did great work before. Why are you, you making these decisions? But what was amazing was that she didn't send me down to the principal's office. She didn't have all these, these consequences other than just calling me out to say, this isn't who you are, and giving me a vision of who I am and who I could be and what I could step into. You see, the first way, why do you always do that? It's rooted in shame. And I, I've learned a little bit between guilt and shame um, because there is a difference between these two things. Shame is the belief that we're unworthy of love and that we're unworthy of belonging. And guilt, well, it's not that I'm unworthy, but it's just that I've done something bad. So shame equals I am bad, bad Kevin, and guilt is I did something bad. Good Kevin, bad choice. <laughs> you see, our, our children, they cling to their worthiness. And they experience shame as the threat of being unlovable. And that's why I believe you can change a child's behavior on a dime by using shame. And that's why it's so easy to do so sometimes. Because we want them to just change but because our children cling to their worthiness, we've got to work hard to remind them that they're not a bad kid. They're a great kid. And maybe they've made some bad decisions. Let's tap into the power of their true identity. Colossians 3.21, it's very similar to the Ephesians verse. It says, parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. It's talking about not making our kids resentful. And I believe that a great way of looking at this is, is parents, don't shame your children. You'll crush their spirit. You'll destroy their soul. And it's, it's that soul that we're wanting to tap into, that we're wanting to draw out, this life that's within them, that's been designed and embedded within them. That's what we're trying to, to unleash because they have a gift to offer this world. So this flows into my third guidepost, which uh, don't ridicule me right away. Hear me out. Say yes to your kids as much as possible. Now, grandparents, you guys are great at this. You can say, yeah, keep it, take more candy because you're going home tonight. That, that, you, you've put in your time. You've, you've earned it. You can hang up your skates, give, give them candy. But what I mean by this, say yes to your kids as much as possible, is... We need to teach our ki kids that gift is a life, 
that, that life is a gift to be received. That the world is it, not to be feared or avoided, but it, it, it's something that we can experience, something that can be engaged, something that can be enjoyed. So when I say about saying yes as much as possible, it's not being in the toy aisle with your kid and they're like, I want Paw Patrol or whatever the fad is that week. Or it's not just giving in to giving them more candy. It's, it's about a larger posture of your heart. That, again, we're trying to tap into these, these deeper questions of the soul, of what kind of world are we going to help create? What kind of life are we going to lead? And we don't need to shy away from these questions. Rather, we need to lean into them and respond with the most robust yes that we can, with a posture of yes to life and to the world. And of course, there's going to be difficulties and challenges. It's, it's life. But even with those, they're still going to have a choice and a control over how they respond to these events. And you want your kids to know that they can respond with a yes. In the New Testament, the book of Romans, Paul talks about how suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Hope, it, it's not a temporal, this happy feeling that comes over you. It, it comes out of character. It comes out of suffering. And I believe it's, it comes out of this posture of yes to the future. It's about a view of the world that our, our best days aren't behind us. It's a hope that Jesus is at work renewing, restoring, and redeeming all things everywhere. Hope, it's something that's earned. It's something that comes because of all the moments you could have said yes or no, but you chose to say yes. If I just came up here and said, the best is behind us. The, the, the job you have, that's, that's the best it's going to be. The, the, the life you have, the, the socio-political environment, the, the gap between rich and poor and upper class and lower class, it, no, it's not going to get better. But that's not, that's not hope. That's not the message that we've been given. That's not a posture of saying yes to the world. You say yes as much as possible to your kids because sometimes you also then have to say no. And no's only make sense in a larger context of yeses. Some things are destructive and some things are stupid. You want to make so many deposits into that yes account so that when you do have to say no, it's airtight and legitimate, and your kid can say, okay, this is for a good reason. You say yes so much that when your kid thinks of you, they think yes. If you were to ask your kid whether they, they think of you in terms of a yes have a yes position or a no position to life, what would their response be? Because we're always teaching our kids, and sometimes we're using words. They know the posture that we have. Now, this is so challenging because as I'm writing this message, my kids are asking me a billion things. And I'm like, I'm saying, always say yes here. And he's like, let's go to the park. And I'm like, ah! But it's not easy to live in this posture. But we can do so out of our identity, out of their identity, out of who God's called us to be, and knowing the promises that God set before us, that he is at work renewing, 
reconciling, restoring, redeeming all things everywhere. But one more thing is sometimes we do need to say yes to danger. But I mean a calculated, intentional danger. To purposely allow your kid a bit more responsibility than they've had in the past. To, to give them that inch that, that could possibly make a mess of things. Because we've all been given the sacred gift of life. And it, it's a gift. It's a responsibility. And when your kid gets another inch of freedom and danger, you're saying to them, yes, I think you can do it. I believe in you. You're empowering them. And I'm not there yet as a parent myself, but I know I put my parents through that <laughs> when I drove home on a motorbike one night and said, surprise, and they're trying to figure out what to do because they told me they'd always kick me out of the house. At that moment, they chose to let me stay at home, which was nice of them. But we have to, at age-appropriate times and we know our kids best, trust them. Trust them to God and help them. Help them launch. Help them become who they're going to become. Your life is a gift. What you do with it and how you respond to it matters. And I'm going to sneak in another guidepost. I wasn't sure if I was going to here, but I'm going to. And it's don't be a that door parent. And what I mean by this is that this is when you say, whatever you do, don't go behind that door. Because if you do this enough, there's a chance that you'll have a kid who will be so filled with curiosity and wonder that they'll ask, what's behind that door? Endless rules that are based out of fear may have the exact opposite effect than what you're hoping for. And if you make too many rules or make it too forbidden, it actually can become electrifying. I think I fall into this personality type myself. The more I hear not to explore that door, the more I definitely want to. Now, some things are toxic. They're dangerous. They're wrong. And it's absolutely crucial that you help your kid develop a moral, moral compass for what's okay and what should be avoided at all costs. And speak clearly to those things. I don't think we need to shy away from hard conversations and why they should stay away from things and why they should um, practice certain things. But if you just hide it behind that door, you create this energy and this electricity rather than giving things their proper power. Now, I understand we do this as parents because we've struggled with things. We've fallen off the, the bandwagon or we've, we've lost our way. And we're trying to keep them from doing the same thing because it just brings back the pain and the memories. But keep in mind, your kid isn't you. Their life is their life. It's not your life. And you may have lost your way for a bit, but it's not automatic that your kid will. So be careful about the assumptions that you make. Because also, you've made it. You're, you're here. And you have a kid, and you love that kid. And you've come here to discuss, to try and figure out, how can we be better parents to better love this kid and, and help this kid become the greatest they can be? 
You can't protect your kid from everything. They will struggle. And if you try and build walls around them, you may actually become the struggle they have to work through. That was probably one of the biggest things I, I, I kept seeing over and over again in my time in youth ministry and student ministries, is the more that, that the kids kind of tested their lap belt on the roller coaster, the example we saw at the beginning, the more the parents tried to, to overcompensate, but they started becoming the problem, the relationship. So again, it, it's, a, it's an art, it's a craft, it's not a science, but it's trying to figure, figure out that dial and what, what works with your kid and how can you continue to develop that relationship and influence them. The art and craft of being a parent is to give things the power they properly deserve. Don't add extra electricity to things behind that door. Which brings me to my last guidepost, which is now shifting from control to influence. John 15, verse 15 to 6. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Jesus made known to his disciples everything that he learned from God. This is what marked the, their transition from servants to friends. So how did he do this? By walking with them, by leading them in the way of the master, by journeying with them. Now, he doesn't tell them they've got it all figured out, that they've, they've now reached the state of perfection. And, but he's made them aware and has made known to them God's business. He's journeyed with them. And he, he continues on in the book of John to say that he's going to continue to be with them. But what's more is that Jesus here in, in verse 16, he says, I chose you. Now this is huge because the entire rabbinical system, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, the entire rabbinical system was based on the rabbi having faith in his disciples. So here Jesus, a rabbi, is affirming their call. They've been chosen. And we know that he calls us. He knows that we know that he's chosen us because the beauty of it is that God has an incredibly high view of people. God believes that people are capable of doing amazing things. So when Jesus gets frustrated with them, and there's countless stories throughout the Gospels, it's not because they're incapable of doing something. I believe Jesus gets so frustrated with them because he knows what they're truly capable of. It's a good thing to believe in Jesus. But what's even more mind-blowing is when you realize that Jesus believes in you. It's a good thing to have faith in God, but what's more mind-blowing is when you learn that God has faith in us. This is like parenting. God's the perfect father and he believes in us. He, he, he invites us to, to step into these crazy adventures and these exciting things and, and perhaps challenging times. 
But like parenting, do you believe in your kids? Do you have a high view of your kids? By posturing ourselves in this way, we can shift from this, this controlling our kids to an influencing our kids. And I'm just going to end once more with the whole extending yourself grace or embracing grace. Because no one has ever launched this rocket before. And so much anxiety is built up and connected with parenting that I, I, I said last week that if I can sense the anxiety that you have around parenting, what's it like to be your kid living with you about the anxiety around parenting? But in Jesus, there's a peace. There's a forgiveness, a love, an embrace. He meets you in your shadows, your insecurities, your fears, the messes you've made. He meets you there, and he insists that you don't have to be enslaved to your anxieties. He insists that you don't have to be owned by your worry. He literally says time and time again, do not worry. Because he actually believes that you can live without worry. And he insists that I will be with you to the end of the age. He invites you to live life with him, not through shame, not through guilt. He declares his yoke, or this way of being, this, this partnership with him. He says it's light. And of course, again, your life will have struggle and difficulty. It's the world. But he invites you into a deeper flow where you're not beating yourself up with all the things you aren't. He comes to free you and remind you of who you are. It's both deeply personal, yet it, it's also so communal. It's about your heart, but it's also about the entire universe and everything working together. Because God is at work renewing, restoring, reconciling, redeeming everything, everywhere. Which brings us in a moment to the, the Lord's table, which is something we practice here at the well weekly because we wanted to continually come together and remind ourselves that this isn't about us. This is about a faithful God. This is about Jesus, who we center ourselves on. Where we remember and we celebrate the work that he accomplished here on earth on the cross, conquering death, reconciling things to our Heavenly Father. And he invites us to participate in the act of remembrance. But what's more is he invites us to participate in the ongoing work of redemption and reconciliation here on earth. And that involves impacting and influencing the next generation. That involves our parenting. Because God is at work in all things. So the, w the way that we do communion here tries to reflect this personal yet communal aspect. And we actually in invite you to come up to the table and uh, take a piece of bread, which signifies Christ's body, which was given for you. For you. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not just something that Jesus did. It's that he did it for us, to be in relationship with us. And then also take a cup which symbolizes his blood, this, this new covenant that he creates with us. And then you can take it back to your seat, and you can uh, participate with friends, your family, or you can just do it alone. But allow Jesus to speak to you.
Allow him to meet you where you are. Let him in on what's going, in, going on in your life, what's the ups and downs, the struggles with kids. But also respond to his invitation to live into the life that he's inviting you to as well.